Well, thank you for joining me Absolutely. on this very special episode of the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, um, Tamara, we, uh, I always start with the same question. If you had to identify a starting point for your educational journey, where would that starting point be for you? I think my start would be, ironically enough, my first year at the University of Illinois. Champaign-Urbana. Um, for context, I was a straight-A student in high school. It was very sheltered. Um, parents picked up, dropped off, wasn't the mall kid, none of that. So had a very structured childhood. And being at the university um, alone for the first time, I did not manage that well. Yeah. And so um, the, excuse me, the first semester, I bombed my tank. It wasn't because I didn't know. It was just too much freedom. I didn't know how to manage that. And so after um, another poor uh, semester, I was dismissed. And so although that was my first year in college, it wasn't until I flunked out and failed at something, not because of the education, but just because of not managing the freedom. Yeah, That was the moment of impact for me. Um, I think also having the very disheartening conversation with my parents about not managing that freedom and then having to come home was very humbling. And it wasn't until then where I was forced to pay my own way that it really impacted how I valued yeah. time, money, and most importantly, education. Tell me about that conversation with your parents. Uh, the, the conversation um, after the first semester was very um, supportive. There was anger there from my yeah. family, mostly my dad, because he was more invested. Um, it was humbling because I was used to being successful all yeah. the time. I was the student that could read something and a week go by and I would retain it and regurgitate it back to then reciprocate that comprehension. And being able to then look my dad in the eye, who was very much, um, he wasn't college educated himself, but he was very much an advocate for education, was very humbling. You know, how do you go from being the stellar child to the the child that now has to admit that there was failure? Yeah. Um, so I made promises that clearly I did not keep. And the conversation as he came to uh, the college to pick me up and bring me back to Chicago was, I'm done. And one thing about my dad is that when he said he was done, he was absolutely done. There was no circling back. And there was no negotiation. Um, and so the mission and the lesson that I had in that moment was you can stay here at home, but mm -hmm. you either have to work or go to school, preferably both. And so the other moment of impact was having to work full-time and be a full-time student and being able to go from not managing time away to mm -hmm. then having to be a, a taskmaster and be responsible for not only myself, but also um, employees as quickly put into a supervisory role. <laughs> so I learned very quickly. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. That sounds like a rough, rough transition. I mean, initially, I mean, from high school to college, but then experiencing that failure and then having that very difficult conversation and then kind of what was next for you sounds incredibly challenging. It was, but I, if I had to 
if I had to redo it again, I would want it that exact same way. I think a lot of that lesson that my father provided was being able to be accountable. And so one of the things that in this work is the students that are desiring to be successful take on that comprehension that I need to be accountable, right? My scenario or my situation or even my upbringing doesn't define who I am. It's how I respond to the things that happen, whether I am a part of it happening or it just happens by happenstance. Yeah. So that that was a very hard lesson, but my um, almost turn of the century self now knows that <laughs> it is uh, it is very much what I needed at the time. Yeah, I'm going to take a step back, and I apologize because generally I do this over Zoom everybody and so you know as you know with zoom like the camp the speaker is the focus and then it will transition so we don't necessarily get to see the guests while i'm in doing the introduction so this is all different for me but would you do me a favor and introduce yourself absolutely. for our audience absolutely so hello everyone my name is kamara jackson i am currently serving as the director of the career center here at utrgv i've been here for about two and a half years my background is in higher education, and so it will make 17 years in March that I've been doing this work. Very passionate about supporting students, helping them to navigate uh, what makes them unique, what makes them authentic, but most importantly, um, how they can show up in spaces where maybe people don't look like them, and then being able to become contributors to that work, um, or creating spaces for work to be uh, created for other people. Um, I do this because of a lot of my own personal journey and being first generation is um, something that should be considered as an asset and not a deficit. Um, part of uh, what we do in the career center um, and leading us a staff both in Brownsville and Edinburgh is being able to help students to understand what makes them unique, um, what do they have to contribute, how they are able to make um, the spaces that they are operating in better than they were. Um, I, I think one of the things that also kind of drives um, my work is being able to identify the things that maybe the organization doesn't even know that they need. Yeah. Um, to, to that point, anytime that I've looked at a job description, I don't take it for face value. I look at what they are not saying. Mm. What do you mean? At the risk of sounding cocky, <laughs> I am an African-American woman leading a 90% Hispanic staff. It's not that I'm smarter than anyone. It's just that my experiences were what was needed here. Mm -hmm being able to advocate for the staff, um, most times successful, sometimes not. Um, I think it's the, the grit. Mm -hmm. I think it's the, the tenacity. I think it's the passion. Um, I'm very much someone who is always in favor of the underdog. And my staff has not necessarily been represented well. Mm -hmm. And so, I feel good about what we're doing. There are people that are in positions that never would have been in them if it wasn't for the advocacy. And again, it's not me being smarter than mm -hmm. anyone. Yeah. It's just 
I don't like people to be invisible. Mm. And if I can help them be visible, then I will use my platform to do so. And so now my team are invited to conversations that they would not have been invited to. Um, There's not necessarily always a need for me to be in that space because they have been positioned well Mm -hmm. and they have had doors open for them. They have been able to uh, be successful in their educational spaces. Um, Jokingly, I said to the staff, I have two more, one person who needs to finish their bachelor's degree Uh and have another one that needs to start their master's, but everyone else has their master's degree. And it's not, I didn't complete the degree for them, but it's just being able to then create a culture of, I want you to be successful, even if it means you're not here, because this is just a a very small space for notching your journey. I love that. It's really powerful. You, um, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I think there's so much in the introduction that kind of, um, I think you definitely direct um, towards your own journey, right? And so I want to take a step back. You talked about that transition from high school to college. You talked about some of the challenges that you experienced when you were going to college. What is it that you wanted to do? What were your aspirations? Oh, wow. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. And so at the risk of dating myself, uh, the the most popular law shows was L.A. Law. I don't know okay. if I remember that. I remember, yeah, I remember L.A. Law. I, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but I, it was just so cool to see them yeah. advocating and, and, and really leaning into social justice. And so I love that. Now, fast forward. And I started to do my own kind of discovery into what becoming a lawyer looks like. They do a lot of reading. Oh my gosh, those books are ridiculously long. And I said, you know what? I need to read things as strategy. Now, here's the thing. I'm an avid reader. I have books that I, that are, are piled up. I think I have to read in rotation right now. So it wasn't that, but it was just the, it was not as exciting and it was boring. Yeah. And now looking at that now, it's, the fact that it didn't allow me to be um, engaging with others, it was a lot of self um, set aside time and introverted spaces. And and I know now that I don't thrive well in those. Mm -hmm. And so um, I shifted from wanting to be a lawyer to be a teacher. Okay. And so I started off once I got to my alma mater after a few journeys through community colleges and kind of taking those core content classes that I did not do well at U of I. I was ready to then go into a, an established four-year institution and finish my, what I thought was my second two years. And I quickly went from early childhood education. And um, I love children. And the more that I got submerged in it and realized that Kids are snotty and they have germs and you can put them on your clothes and on your person. I said, you know what? Maybe I need to think of older children. And so I went through those phases. I went from early childhood to elementary to high school. And I went, why is it that I'm not making the connection? Yeah. 
And so again, now my turn of the century self now knows that my education was not a, in a traditional sense, but it was working with older adults and working with younger adults and being able to help them to identify how they see themselves. And so my discovery into higher education happened late in 2007. I was at a crossroads in my life. I was working and put myself through college doing retail and running at the time $1. million stores and doing well that my district managers were going on trips to Hawaii and Cancun from some of the work that was being done in the sales in the store to, I got to the point where I had to make a decision about declaring a major and I could no longer work at that capacity of 45 hours, 50 hours a week. Yeah. And I made the decision to walk away from retail. Um, for context, I had a car, yeah. I had an apartment. There is not a space for me to not have income coming in. Going back to, to parents is not even an option. I was a full-fledged adult. And so I remember looking at the Chicago State website in 2007 and seeing a job, and it was a career advisor role. The backstory with that is that I was always the person within my family helping people to pick majors. Hmm. I never knew that was a job. I didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah. When I read the job description, which is why I said reading what's not there in a job description, I saw myself, but then I also saw how my advocacy, being a lawyer, can then help those who are this undecided as well. And so I applied. And so, you know, from working at a state institution, it can take months <laughs> for folks to figure out. Yeah. We post this job, but where are we going to fund it? Whose money is going to come from? Yeah. Whose budget? Who's going to finance it? All of that. And so it took four months. But my first job in retail was March 1st, 2008, as a career advisor at my alma mater, Chicago State University. Wow. Um, here's the irony. I never set foot in the career center. I didn't even know it existed. But that was my first job in hard I'm going to stop you real quick. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's so much there, so much richness there, right? And I'd like to unpack something. You know, you um, find yourself in the role that you're in now, mm -hmm. right? And I think you said something really interesting. You said, I didn't know I could get a job doing that, right? Helping somebody pick a major, helping somebody find their way. Having worked in higher ed for a few years now. Um, and, and just my experience that we have a lot of those students. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give a student who finds themselves maybe their first gen? So maybe the idea of, of the jobs that are available to them, to them is very narrow. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them in terms of how do I approach moving forward, thinking about potential careers, majors, things like that? Go to your career center. Okay. Go to someone who you feel has, is emulating the journey that you are interested in walking down and have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Those people either will have an answer, be able to provide a safe space for you to, to talk through what you like, what you absolutely do not, and then also provide hopefully some context in that, in that middle, which is the gray area. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, go to your career center. It is a safe space 
for you to say, I've experienced homelessness. I have a record. I am a single parent. I'm taking care of my parents and I don't know how I'm going to make it. I have food insecurity. That is a safe space for all of that. And I think it's important to say that most career centers are the staff size is not reflective of the student population, mm -hmm. but the staff is there because they have either experienced some of that themselves mm -hmm. or they are able to sympathize and empathize with anything that walks or any person in any scenario that walks through that door. And most importantly, they're savvy enough to know when to bring someone in to continue to like pour into that student and help them. Yeah. The other thing is that if you are in school and there is someone hopefully that looks like you or you have been watching them and something that they said either resonates with you, have a conversation. I think the, the biggest crime that a student can, make, can commit is having ideas mm -hmm. and having curiosity without acting on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, thank you. No, thank you for that advice. He, I spent 20 years in higher ed full time. And even I never saw, I, I see the value in the career center, absolutely. But I never saw it as that space that you described, where students can kind of unpack maybe all of their experiences and the things that they bring. And, it, and as you point that out, there aren't very many spaces even at the university for them to do that. No. Sometimes the expectation is for, and I think this is systemic mostly in, in higher or upper management or leadership. Sometimes the students that come to this door are treated as adults. And it's far from the truth. Yeah. We have some 25, sometimes returning freshmen yeah. that are 30, 35, that may still have a mindset that is guarded because they haven't had spaces to then release and mm -hmm. let down whatever it is that is, um, this is going to drive me nuts, that is uh, <laughs> keeping them from moving forward. Yeah. And so one of the things that um, is so important for people to understand is that it is not... It's not a fair assumption to treat everyone with a one-size-fits-all mentality. Mm. Everyone that comes through that door or everyone that is admitted in an institution has stories and journeys that they bring with them. And it's, it is truly their authentic self, right? Again, some things that they either contributed to or some things that happened to them by happenstance. But... What people don't understand at Organizations University, it's actually what they need, mm. right? Yeah. That person that comes from a neighborhood that maybe was not rich or did not pour to them, that person's deficiencies are needed at the institution. Mm -hmm. What do institutions do? They push out data on success. And it's only successful based upon the people that are there. Mm. And so that person who maybe came from low income, first generation, maybe a working parent, 
is needed in that space. We don't need cookie cutter. Yeah. Right. It is what makes any organization rich and diverse and um, global and fluid is the person's experiences. Wow. Um, I love that. Going back to your own journey. So you're starting in this role as a career advisor. What was that like? It was interesting. I interviewed with two folks who are now friends and there was a candidate that was interviewing with me, not in the same space, but I knew she was there and she had more experience than me. And so the example was for success was I need you to critique this resume. And so I critiqued the resume because I had been doing it for family. And again, unbeknownst to me, this is actual job that people pay you for. And I submitted it. And so after um, we completed that particular task, um, they called me back a few days later and said, we would like to extend the opportunity. I accepted and I started on March 1st and I asked my supervisor, why did you pick me? I know that the person that was in the waiting room was more qualified. And I will never forget this. She said, we felt that your experiences and personality would resonate with students more. And mm -hmm. that is what we were looking for. We can teach you all of the things, but your who you are and how you show up can't be duplicated. How did you take that? Um, to be honest with you, I think that is validation. In previous roles where I worked in financial services, I always felt as if I had to mute myself to make other people feel comfortable. And it was in that moment that I realized that I cannot provide a cookie cutter version to make other people feel comfortable. There is uh, the new CEO of Essence. Her name is Caroline Wango. I just started following her. And she is this very bold, a very highly intelligent Black woman. And she says, if you can't be who you are, where you are, don't change who you are, change where you are. I love that. I love that. So with that in mind, you're in this space. You After leaving retail where you were having tremendous success, did you feel like I'm where I need to be? I did, so much so that the master's degree that I was getting, so now for fast forward, I've gotten this master's degree from my mother, I went back and I have this amazing, incredible passion for history. I can just sit and talk for hours about history. I was three classes shy of completing. <laughs> for context, that's nine hours. And I had bitten and fell in love with the higher education books so bad that I left the nine credits on the table and switched majors. Oh, wow. Okay. 
who does that? <laughs> That's how much I felt like I needed that that I belonged. Yeah, I had found my place. I had found my people. I found my uh, my passion, my purpose. Yeah, why I was created. And it's interesting getting there. It sounds like. Um, and again, when I started the podcast, I did I did so because I wanted to show students that I think we sell young, at least the experience that I've had with the students that we get, you know, in our first year courses, we sell them on the idea that their journey is going to be a straight line. Mm-hmm. And it it's not. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah. And, and, and yours hasn't. But it sounds like, one, you leaving some comfortable spaces or at least some spaces where you're having success, leaving nine hours, you know, short of a history, right, major on the table and continuing to pursue, to pursue, to find and to seek that space that you were looking for. How long were you at your alma mater in that position? I was in that role three years and eight months. And um, in higher education, some positions are on grants. Yeah. And so after almost four years, I did not, the the department was going in a different direction. Leadership was, was repositioning, um, as they often do. Uh, we'll move departments around and put them under different arms and umbrellas. And so um, chatter in, in, in higher education is, is often facts being socialized at very different levels. And so I'd become accustomed to the chatter and I, my, my skills of making sure that I preserve my peace and, and my uh, financial stability kicked in. And I saw the writing in the wall and I said, you know, I need to, uh, as much as I love this space and it's my Milan and it's home, I need to find opportunities someplace else. And yeah. so I interviewed um, at the Illinois Institute of Technology, and I went from being a career advisor to an associate director of for education. Interesting journey. The leadership was um, colorful, to say the least. And there was a lot of um, chickens running around with their heads cut off. And so my, my social justice advocacy lawyer skills kicked in and sat and observed and I found myself in a space where there was separation of staff there was career education and uh, employer engagement and the employer engagement side of the house of the shop was very much operating as this this tyranny space for the education team and so anyone that knows me knows that I hate bullies. And so I found myself um, advocating for this, this new team that I was now a part of and going in and trying to make sense of why career advisors were working 10-hour days and staying after work and, and having 105 presentations in a month. And having cookie cutter resumes and it's I just like this doesn't make sense. I don't I don't understand. Um the person that hired me was only there a week. She went on FMLA and she never came back. And so I was there fending, you know, trying to make make my own way in this in this department and seeing the 
the way that other long-term staff were treating other long-term staff and saying, you know, hey, we got to work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was kind of, um, it was an interesting time because I was a new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. Now I'm kind of coming in and waving this cape and making this stance for staff that had been there. But my lawyer, social justice self, just, I don't like bullies. Yeah. And so um, I also recognize that my my gift is the gift of administration. My turn of the century self knows I know. Um, and so I was able to go in to see, like, how are we doing this programming at scale? Doesn't make sense. Where are we having workshops every hour on out when there are only two identified timeframes where students don't have class? Mm-hmm. So we went from having 105 to 33 because that maybe coincided with the timing of the, the class availability for students um, a month. And so we went from having cookie cutter resumes to, and it was, there was, was a known fact from the employer side that any employer that saw a resume knew it was from IT because they all looked insane. <laughs> I can't make this up. And I said, why are we doing this? And I had come from a space where there was more creative freedom and we were separated by discipline. And so I didn't understand like why we were not capitalizing on making sure that our students were positioned well. The difference between Chicago State and IIT is that IIT was a now 80% international populated school. So I went from an honorary HBCU to now an international uh, folks, uh, student populated school. And what's interesting about that is that the students that are international have a timeline mm-hmm. that they have to be on. They have a small, a short window. So that accountability that we talked about, they had it. They were very driven. Yeah. I only had to navigate now cultural differences. There were some cultures of students that did not take well to receiving direction from women. There were some students that were so humble mm-hmm. that they would rather be humble than advocate for themselves. And then there were some that come came from spaces where women were not supposed to be in STEM or they weren't supposed to be in school at all. Yeah. So now navigating this internal um, creating agency and advocacy with staff and helping them to understand their own gifts so that they can now support students and then navigating cultural differences with students. And then also learning kind of the nuances of uh, immigration and that ever-changing landscape um, based upon administration and all of those things. So it was a lot of moving pieces, but what I learned from that journey is learning how to multitask, learning how to advocate, being in leadership, having conversations with deans and, and ADPs at that level, um, now with this, from what you know, not really a higher level title, yeah. but, and then doing that in this black skin, being a, being a woman. Um, I, I learned the most there, and I also knew how to advocate. I learned even further how to advocate for myself and that I deserve to be in those spaces. You move into this space, and it sounds like one, I mean, there's a lot to learn, right? And you said you you learned the most mm-hmm. there. I think sometimes we're afraid to take on roles like that. What advice would you give somebody who 
maybe is, has an opportunity to move into a new space, um, but understands, they recognize that this is going to be challenging. I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. And maybe challenged a little bit. What advice would you give somebody like that? Do it scared. Do it scared? Do it scared. What do you mean, do it scared? Whatever areas where you feel like you may not be competent enough mm-hmm. or knowledgeable enough or um, that you look for sound or think the part, do it scared. Because what you, the, the, the other side of that is that you can be wildly successful. Mm-hmm. But if you don't take chances and put yourself there, then you live in space of what if, or I could have. And what I've learned in my turn of the century self is that those are the those are the the, the things that are harder to live with. Failure is not hard to live with. You can get over that. It's the the opportunities that you pass over mm-hmm. because of fear. That's powerful. So, in this space, how long are you in this space now? Um, I probably will be doing some type of higher education until I die. But in that, in that space. Oh, in, in that IT, space? In IT. Yeah. IT. So I was there three years and 11 months. Okay. So after numerous leadership changes and also uh, the reimagining of where the career center saw it set, mm-hmm. um, I, I knew that it was time. The other thing that prompted that change was my husband, who is a licensed and ordained minister, uh, received a call to pastor a church in Wisconsin. So now we're leaving this, the, the foundation of where I'm from in, in Chicago and leaving to a whole other state. And so higher education has really interesting pockets uh, of, of uh, opportunities. Uh, there, there usually is some sort of alignment for bordering states. Yeah. Uh, and so I went from this, this title of associate director to now going to the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, uh, where I had to at least on paper take a step back and mm. serve as a recruiting coordinator. And so I went from the counseling side to then now just straight employer engagement. And that is... It's the the same side. It's a different side of the same coin. So now your advocacy is for leaving from students to now advocating for students with employers and now celebrating the diversity uh, and and the uniqueness of the students, but then communicating that to employers and why they should recruit at that institution. And so if I thought that I learned the most in that role, I was really um, had an amazing seat at the table at UW-Madison, Milwaukee. My supervisor, who is now a dear friend, was a social justice advocate in her own right, and she was heck-bent on diversifying her staff. So it was not enough for her to have staff that reflected the student population, mm-hmm. but it was it was her mission to make sure that there are now gender representation. And so career services is very much heavily populated by women. And she was intentional about hiring males and she was intentional about hiring 
people that identified as LGBTQ+. She was intentional about hiring external candidates. Mm-hmm. She was intentional in everything that she did. Yeah. And when I had that conversation with her about changing my title before I took the position, she said, I'm very much aware of where you are coming from. And she asked me to trust her with that part of the journey. And so here I am in a position with someone I have no context of. And I could only go on what we talked about in our interview to now trusting her with how I show up on my resume was interesting. <laughs> I, I bet. I mean, asking asking anybody, right? Trust us. But particularly somebody who, who well, as you said, you have no context or there's no history. No there. history. Mm-hmm. And, and none of the people that I worked with in Illinois knew her. Yeah. So I couldn't even like leverage my social capital to say, hey, can you vouch for this person? Yeah. Why and did you trust them? She, when she talked about deliverables in our interview, mm-hmm. I, st- I looked at the staff. And so that was the first time that I saw intentionality in who was at the table working with students. And to be honest with you, I just I prayed and I said, you know what? If this is not for me, I won't be here long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was there the longest, almost six years, throwing a pandemic, throwing a year of commuting. Because somewhere during the latter part of that journey, I moved back to Illinois, but I was still working in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, And I had a baby and an older mom. And so a lot of moving pieces with a lot of heart, but I had been promoted. I saw the largest salary increase in that role. And I had this unimaginable autonomy and freedom, but most importantly, professional trust which I've never had. Wow. Wow. I think it's also important to say that my boss is this big old gay woman married to her wife, and she operated in that space of belonging. And it was important for her to establish the belonging in her office. And she emulated the concept of team. And I think it was the first time I ever heard a leader say, everything doesn't have to be my idea. And I don't always get it right. Wow. And will you extend grace when I don't? Heck yeah. Because I wouldn't want that. Yeah. And so she... And one other supervisor that I had at IT impacted how I lead. I was going to ask, you know, having all of these experiences and, and, you know, we, you know, and for our listeners out there, for young people who are thinking you're just starting out their career journeys, thinking about what we take with us, Mm -hmm. right. As we go from one position to another. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you said, 
she and another supervisor impacted how you lead. Andreas Garza. So Gene Salsa and Andreas Garza. Shout out. <laughs> I always wanted to do that anyway. <laughs> so as you're going through, what is it that you're taking with you? I'm taking with me that it is important to show up as yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm taking with me that leadership does not mean, mean tyranny. It's actually a space of serving. Mm -hmm. And that you have to have a desire to want those that you work with mm -hmm. to be better and to excel. And I think true servant leaders mm -hmm. recognize that They are fallible. And that it's okay to ask for grace. But it's also important to extend grace. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Oftentimes, leaders are not the smartest person in the room. It's the people that you're intentional about building on a team that makes you smart and savvy. So you're there in that position the longest. Sounds like very successful and certainly you experience a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. What comes next? I end up here. So we have a pandemic that shuts the entire world down and forces folks to stay inside. Mm -hmm. And so now I am um, a newer mom working at home for a year and the universities decide that they are going to return back. And so um, that is always my, this is where I leave you segment because I did not go back to UWM um, because my location had changed. I was back in Chicago and I could no longer do that, that commute. So I commuted. And so for anyone that knows the difference, Chicago and Milwaukee are only two hours away from each other. Here's a beautiful thing about Chicago. If you don't leave at the right time, you will be stuck in traffic one way, three hours minimum. And so I just decided that it was just time for me to, to leave. And so um, in between my time at UWM, um, one of the things that I always appreciated about my supervisor and that I do now in my leadership role here at UTRGB is the importance of professional development. One of the conferences that I attended was a week-long conference and got to work with some amazing people from all over the, the world in career services. And there was someone that I didn't, we, we communicated, but I wasn't as close as some of, some of the other people that I still talk to to this day. And this was back in, this conference was back in 2018. And there was this person that I met at a conference and she actually referred my name mm -hmm. to the search firm that was hiring for the role here as director in UTRGV. And so when I got a call from the university, I had no idea what UTRGV <laughs> was. I'm back in Chicago. That's about 22 hours away drive. Mm -hmm. And I pick up the phone and I ask, I'm, I'm sorry, you're from where? And so I knew I needed to find another job in higher education, but Texas, and especially South Texas, was the last place on my <laughs> mind. 
And so after having conversations, which is what I tell students all the time, nothing hurts from having conversations. Have conversations. Yeah. Having conversations landed me here. So I did the interviewing, made a presentation, met with deans, met with the, the, the provosts and all the people. And here I am now, two and a half years later, leading an amazing team. I've had the opportunity to, to hire. Uh, I adopted or I was, uh, I adopted new uh, older staff or seasoned staff, but also had an opportunity to then build to the amazing team. And I think one of the things that I will always be grateful for in my journey is to help this, the current staff have spaces to grow professionally and personally. I think that we have a really great relationship with being able to talk about the diversity of the staff as well and what makes us unique. Yeah. But most importantly, seeing them excel and be in spaces that they would not have had without advocacy. Wow. So when my journey here is done, I know what my legacy is. And so now my turn of century self is all about what was my legacy? Not for the purpose of being braggadocious or anything, but how did I impact mm -hmm. someone else to then take chances and risks? Wow. Wow. You know, I'm sure anybody listening, watching us, I hope they see that because I think, you know, if anything, you've modeled that throughout your journey, right? Taking risks doing the work scared. I love that. I'm going to steal that at some point. It's only, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I did not originate that. <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the work that you do. You know, I want to be mindful of your time. I know you've got a busy schedule. So, you know, as we, as we exit, what last piece of advice would you like to leave? Maybe that first generation student that's just starting at the university. Ask questions. Find and build community. Mm -hmm. Failure does not define you. It can actually position you for areas where you're supposed to be successful. And trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Trust yourself. Even if that voice is unsure, I believe everyone has this inner voice yeah. that will guide them. Our influences will come from what we see, where we're from, mm -hmm. what we perceive from other people to be successful. But it is really important for students to, to define their own definitions. Mm -hmm. I love, that. I love that you're reminding our listeners and our students of their agency. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. My friend, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me. This Absolutely. Was so it, it was too long. It was too long. Like we've gone too long without having this conversation. Absolutely. And, and I think there's this part of you that always knew. Yeah. It, yeah. This is part of you that always knew. Yeah. I cannot express, I have to look at the camera says, I cannot express 
it is important to be intentional about how you spend time with people. My dad didn't have a lot of friends. He had a lot of associates. And there were people that admired his journey, even though he was not a college graduate. And I saw how he effortlessly worked alone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And people gravitated towards him. And it wasn't that he was the smartest person in the room. It was that he actually spent time. And so there was part of him that he actually deposited into people and that made them want to deposit into him. And so I learned that from him. Mm -hmm. And so my dad, not being a college graduate, ran for political office and came in third Mm -hmm. in his community. He was the first local school council president in Chicago at Morgan Park back in 1990-ish, I want to say. I think it was 1990. And I learned my social justice book as well. Our family sometimes can help us to understand who we are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes (laughs) it's not. Yeah. I'm fortunate that it worked out well for me. But even those who don't have that, family is not always who you're born into. It's who you connect with. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important to build community and be willing to deposit into others and also be intuitive enough to understand who needs to deposit into you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. This concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, follow, and all of that good stuff. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye.